0: as jesus walked along he saw a man blind from birth his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind and jesus answered neither this man nor his parents sinned he was born blind so that god's works might be revealed in him we must work the works of him who sent me he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes saying to him go "'Wash in the pool of Siloam,' which means sent. "'Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. "'The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, "'Is this not the man who used to sit and beg?' "'And he kept saying, I am the man.' "'But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened?' "'And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, "'and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. "'I went.' and washed, and received my sight. So they said again to him, What do you say about this Jesus? It was your eyes he opened, and he said, He is a prophet. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. The one speaking with you is he. And he said, Kurios, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment. This is the word of the Lord. When one walks down the Mount of Olives... And it's a hill, not to you and me, a mountain. It's a hill. You walk down among the olive trees. You come to a beautiful little sparkling stream called Kidron. And then you walk up about a 100 yards to the old east gate of the wall city. But right down in the heart of that little valley, there is a very powerful spring of water. And Israel, seven months of the year is very very dry, not a drop of rain. They expect no rain during that seven-month period. So a spring that bubbles up copious amounts of water is a very special place. And from the time David built the new capital city about the year 1000 before the common era, there were plans to harness that water from the spring of Gion and bring it into the wall portion of the city. They had a very primitive aqueduct at first, when Hezekiah was king, 250 years after David, he saw to it that a tunnel was chiseled out of solid rock to bring the water from the pool, the spring of Gihon, into a pool inside the wall portion of the city. And that pool came to be known as Sheloah in Hebrew, which the Greeks later called Siloam. It meant the water that was sent, the water that was sent from the spring of down to this pool 500 years after Jesus a church was built over the site and when the Muslims took over the city uh, they took down the church and built a mosque in fact there's a little minaret today over this spring and the pool and today women still come and draw water from the pool of Siloam it plays an important part in the story for today let's take a look I underlined the very last portion of the verse that I read because it comes as sort of a shocker after this wonderful story that Jesus would say, I came to bring judgment to the world. Now, in the synoptic Gospels, when we have the word for sin, most often it's the word hamartia, and I've told you that's a term used for shooting an arrow at a target and missing when one misses the mark. In the synoptics, often missing the mark is doing something wrong. It's transgression. But not in John's Gospel. If one reads all of John's Gospel, I think you will be sure that in John's Gospel, missing the mark is not seeing God in Jesus. Ninety-six times he talks about believe, 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 Even in his resurrection appearances to Thomas, see me, touch me if you need to, and believe. I do believe. I believe you are the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah of God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. In John's Gospel, that's the all-important thing. Do you see God at work in Jesus? Or as Dr. Rudolf Bultmann has said so clearly, the whole purpose of this gospel is that you come to see Jesus as the authentic revealer of God. That you will never get a clearer, better picture of the heart and very being of God than you have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I came to bring judgment. But you have to go back, you see, the chapter 3. You have to look at the whole gospel. And in chapter 3, you have that wonderful story about Nicodemus coming to him by night. And after the discussion the two of them have, then we are told, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might believe. But men love darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. So the judgment is, can we see God at work in Jesus. I read a story recently about a man who teaches Sunday school in a church down in Australia. He said that there's a little boy in their church named Billy, and Billy had a sister born two years after he was who had great physical disabilities, had spent all of her life in a wheelchair. When this younger sister was ready to go to kindergarten, Billy was second grade. And his parents told the teachers, Billy is a very responsible kid. He will push his little sister into the school every morning and get her to her class. When it's time for lunch, he will come and push her to the dining room. He will help her eat. He will take her back to class. Anytime you need her to go somewhere to do something, Billy will be there. And he was. He did the same when he was in third grade and the same when he was in fourth and she was in the second. And then just before the end of that year, she died. And this man said that suddenly Billy changed. They didn't know if it was the grief over his sister's death that he felt this was so unfair that she had such a miserable little life that she was never able to run and do things that other kids could do? Was there some sense that he had not done enough? This teacher says, even though at church we reached out to him, I know his parents were doing the best they could, I'm sure the teachers at school were, Billy just descended into a surly, mean, hateful attitude. And all through fifth grade, and all through sixth grade, one demerit at school after another, one small punishment after another. And finally, he began seventh grade. And when he walked into his homeroom, there was a new teacher, last name Smith. And Mr. Smith was calling the roll and deciding where he wanted students to sit. And when he got to Billy's name, he said, I want you to sit by me right there in front of me. And when all the students were seated, he called Billy up and spoke to him in a voice so low that no one else heard. He pulled out a manila folder and he said, Billy, I've read what you've been up to the last two years. I've read every page. And I don't believe a word of it is true. And he tore it into shreds and dropped it in the trash and said, please be seated. And this Sunday school teacher says, the next Sunday, I just happened to ask, do any of you know somebody whom you think really tries hard to be like Jesus? And Billy said, I do, Mr. Smith. It's about judgment. Can you see God at work in Christ Jesus? Can you see God at work in others who really are trying to be Christ-like in their own lives? Number two, when all those who had known this blind man now saw him walking around seeing those who were opponents of Jesus, took umbrage at the fact that he had performed this miracle on a Sabbath day. So that was the question, how can this sinner who breaks the Sabbath heal you, which is obviously a very good thing. And the man finally says, one thing I know, I was blind. I really was blind. Now in John's Gospel, you see, he's he's always talking about two things. He's talking about Those who think they see and spiritually are blind. And those who know physically they are blind, but spiritually they see God at work in Christ Jesus. Next January, our Kanippa Lecture is going to be Dr. Tony Campolo. don't know if you've ever heard him or read any of his writings. He's been a professor for many years in a college in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now he's retired. He's, I think, 78, 79 years old. He's coming to give the Knippel Lecture next January. So our Jewish Christian Dialogue Group always asks some to read ahead from anyone who's coming to speak, and often we... Buy one or more books written by that speaker, so that we can discuss in our monthly meetings uh, what this writer speaker seems to be about before he or she arrives. So this year, okay, I'll I'll read ahead in Dr. Campolo's books. I'd never read any of his books. I knew the name. I bought a couple of his books and started to read the other night. Tony Campolo. You can tell from the name he's Italian American. First, his mother came to escape the tyranny of the mafia. And then later, his father came, and they met and married in this country, in Philadelphia. Couldn't help but think about Gail's grandparents. Same story. Her grandfather came to Ellis Island. He was 17 years old. Couldn't speak a word of English. The Siciliano community moved him along into Pennsylvania, got him a job on the railroad. Well, that's where Tony's parents were taken, into Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Eventually, Gail's grandfather made his way south to Louisiana. It was there that he met her grandmother, who had come from a little village 20 miles from his, and they had never known each other in Sicily. Well, the Campolos also came from Sicily. And Tony said, Now I, I look back on my life and wish I had paid more attention to what my father was trying to teach me. I really find that I remember so few things about him Uh, he never spoke English very well. When he would come home from work, he and my mother would speak Italian all the time to each other. We children, we wanted to be Americans all the way, and so we'd say, please, speak English, speak English. So they didn't always speak at all to us. But I remember one thing very well. One Sunday, we were in church, and the priest that day decided to really hammer us in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, where Paul has been made aware that people are coming to the love feast, later would be called Holy Communion, and they weren't really thinking spiritual thoughts. They were just eating and drinking and eating and drinking and eating too much and drinking too much. And so Paul is railing at them about if you eat unworthily and drink unworthily, shame on you. How can you come to this table and do that? Well, the priest was really honing in on that because Mass is such an important part of every Roman Catholic service. And Tony says, I remember sitting in the pew by my dad. There was a young woman right in front of us. I didn't know her, but she started crying. I mean, I could tell. I know my dad could tell. And Finally, she was almost physically sobbing. And then it was time. Time for the elements. And she shook her head. And I remember my father reaching his hand forward, placing it on her shoulder. I could tell he gave her a little squeeze and quietly said to her, Take it, girl. It was meant for you. It was meant for all of us who know that we were blind. Number three, this very important part about now I see, I do see. Uh, I've underlined this uh, early in the reading. Jesus said to his disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me and he sent this blind man to the pool of Siloam, which itself means sent. And what that means is that We do what he tells us. And in the doing, we will receive a greater and greater light. You have to listen carefully to what he's asking us to do. It is the Torah. It is the Ten Commandments. It's also hearing Jesus say that the Torah and the prophets can be summed up in two verses from the Torah, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. You must have no other God but Him. You must love Him with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is sort of like that. One must love one's neighbor as one love oneself, or one must do to others as one would have others do to you. In the second of Dr. Campolo's books I've read, he said that one morning he was walking down the street, Chestnut Avenue, he said, in Philadelphia, on his way to work. He said, I was all gussied up. I had on my best coat and tie. I'm ready to go teach these students everything I know. And as I walked rather jauntily down Chestnut Street, suddenly I was aware of a derelict, crusted with dirt and filth, holding in his hands a steaming cup of coffee from McDonald's. And just as I got right even with him, he stepped in front of me and said, Mr., how about a drink of my coffee? I didn't really want to drink after him, he said, but hey, I took a sip out of his cup. I said, where are you sharing this coffee? And he said, well, it's particularly good this morning, and I just thought I should share. Tony says, I, I felt I was being set up I was just sure he was about to ask me for money. So I said, well, what would you like me to share with you? And the man set down the cup and said, how about a hug? <laughs> he said, I looked at him, and I knew how hard I'd worked to put myself together that morning, but he just grabbed me around the waist and hugged me so enthusiastically he finally had me up off my feet and he's shaking me like this but in my deepest heart I heard a voice saying I was hungry did you feed me? I was thirsty did you give me something to drink? I was naked did you clothe me? I was a bum on Chestnut Avenue did you hug me? Number four. The fourth part here is such an important lesson. As the woman at the well last week said, I believe Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I am. The one from the burning bush is also in Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know if you saw the first installment of the new series on the History Channel called The Bible last week, but if you saw it last Sunday night, you saw Moses in the tent, the wind's about to blow the tent down out there in the Sinai Desert. He's trying to drive the stakes deeper into the dirt, goes inside the tent, it's shaking from this wind. One gets the idea the producer-director is thinking of the ruach of God, the winds of God that blow in so many different ways, and suddenly he sees a light outside the tent, and he pulls back the flap, and there's the burning bush. With today's technology, they can do a burning bush now. It was spectacular. But they didn't have Moses ask for a name. They simply heard... We heard, as he pulled back the flap and saw the bush, I am. Get on the road to Egypt, I am. The woman heard Jesus say last week, I am. And now he asked this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? That was from the Hebrew Scriptures, that one day God's avenger, God's judge, God's person will set things right on the planet. Do you believe? Well tell me who he is sir that I may believe. The one speaking to you. I am he. I am he. Or as John writes, I am The all important thing for John is, do you see the I am in Jesus? is he the authentic revealer for you We have a Dr. Mark Collins in our church professor at University of Tulsa But I was reading recently the writing of another Mark Collins he's a journalist a newspaper man in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania And this Mark Collins was saying that he was sitting in a funeral the other day his mother-in-law had died He said, I was sitting there listening, but I was also remembering the first time I ever met her. She was a newspaper editor. She was a terror to young journalists. And my first job out of college, out of journalism school, was working for this woman. And she would assign me something to cover, go write about, and I would write, and she would take her red pen and just mark it to death and tell me to redo, revise, redo, revise. But I got even with her. I married her daughter, he said. (laughs) I married her daughter, and she had me for a son-in-law all those years. But even the last few days when she was drifting in and out of consciousness, at one moment I was the one sitting closest to her. I leaned in to ask if there was anything I could do. And she said, I need a story, about 500 words with a good picture. And I smiled and said, I'll do the best I can. One of the big contentions we had, he said, was that I, as a young journalist, had focused on the last paragraph. I wanted that last paragraph to be a clincher. And she kept saying, when you're writing for the newspaper, they'll never get to the last paragraph if you haven't had a great first paragraph. It's all in how the first paragraph is written. And Mark says, as I sat there at her funeral, I discovered she was right. If you begin well, the end sort of takes care of itself.